Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. There are many professional societies out there for lab professionals, and we talked about a few of them already. Today, we're going to talk about one more, the College of American Pathologists. Dr. Kerry August is a pathologist and the current president of the CAP Foundation. Today, we're going to talk about how she got into pathology and into teaching. We'll talk about her role as the president of the CAP Foundation, and we'll talk about the foundation's flagship program, See, Test, and Treat. All right, here's Dr. Kerry August. All right, now I wanted to go, if we could, and kind of go all the way back to the beginning for you. So let's talk about, I guess it would be high school or college age. Can you tell me, like, what inspired you to become a doctor? I have to say there were two events when I was in high school that helped get me where I am. Uh, First, I had a biology teacher in high school whom I personally admired. I thought she was intelligent and gentle and well-spoken. And one day I was sitting in biology class and she was talking about, interestingly these days, she was talking about messenger RNA. And I remember sitting there thinking, I have no idea what she's talking about, but whatever it is she's talking about, I want to be in on that someday. That's what I want to do. And that was the first inspiration. The second thing that happened was when I was in high school, I was between becoming some sort of physician and becoming an actress. And the guidance counselor had to make my schedule. And um, senior year chemistry for high school met at the same time as drama class. And she picked chemistry for me instead of drama class. So the rest is sort of history. Well, that, that's interesting. So you, you were actually taking acting classes at the same time? No, it was just a drama class offered at my school. And I thought I could do both, but obviously I couldn't. You decided then to to go to medical school. And then what was your first kind of exposure to pathology? My first exposure to pathology was in sophomore year when we all had pathology class with a lab session. And I liked it well enough. I don't know that I specifically thought I would choose it. When I was in my third year of medical school, as we were doing our clinical rotations, I became more and more confused about what I wanted to do. And one day, going to the pathology department with my internal medicine team to look at slides, on one of our patients, one of my pathology teachers said, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I have no idea. I'm very confused. And she said, well, what do you like? And I said, well, I like surgery. But once we open up and I see what's in there, I'm gone. I just want to see what's there. And she said, well, you should sign up down here. And that's exactly what I did. Okay, and then when you when you started going towards pathology, did you ever have any doubts about like that was the right path for you and maybe you should have looked at something else? No, 
everything fell into place as soon as I had that realization that uh, everything fell into place. And when I started my residency, frankly, one of the senior residents said that it told the other residents that no one could possibly be so happy being a resident coming to work every day that I must have been lobotomized because I was so happy. <laughs> okay, that, that's funny. You know, you're very involved in teaching these days. And I'm curious now, do you, is it common that uh, medical students or, or even, I guess, residents early on that they don't know what kind of specialty they want to go into? Or do most people come in and have a pretty good idea? I think a lot of people come with a good idea of what they want to do. But I don't think that everyone leaves medical school with the same idea. Obviously, I didn't. And I think that was true for a lot of people. Okay. All right. So then let, let's talk about the, the teaching aspect then, because you became involved with teaching fairly early on in your career. So I'm curious, like at, at the beginning, why was that important for you to get involved with teaching? Because I found it gratifying. I just enjoyed watching students get involved. I enjoyed, I think what I really enjoyed was figuring out ways to make teaching interesting and to give them the information they were supposed to get in a way that would stick with them because it could give them something to relate to. So it, in some ways, it's almost like a a game or an effort to make it work better. Okay. Um, what, what do you mean make, make the teaching work better or the, the actual learning part? Um, uh, can you kind of expand on that? I think they're all connected. Uh, for example, if I think that something I am talking about can be related to a personal story from my life or something that's in the news or something I really have loved doing, uh, relating something I'm teaching to, say, a work of art. I think those things help students remember facts much better because they recall the story or the image of what I have shown them. So to me, it's very important. It makes you a more effective teacher, and it helps students be more effective learners. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Have any of your students, like, have you noticed that they had that sort of light bulb moment like you did where all of a sudden they realized, yeah, the pathology is right for me? Do you have any stories like that? Actually, yes. We had, um, at, at one time, we would have residents who were doing a sort of a preliminary year rotating internship come through our department. And there was one uh, resident who was sitting in my office one day and she just looked around my office and she looked at what we were doing and she just said, I think this is what I want to do. She had planned, I believe, on going into internal medicine. She said, this is just what I want to do. And it was a wonderful moment. 
But more than that, I've had a lot of students who remember a specific fact or a specific uh, information about a specific disease process, and they've come back to me and repeated the story I told that helped them learn that material. And that's especially gratifying. Yeah, I can see I can see that. That's gonna make it all kind of worth it when, when that kind of thing happens. Now you mentioned a little bit ago kind of relating pathology concepts to like a work of art, which I find interesting because more and more I'm realizing that there is some kind of connection between pathology and art, whether it is, you know, painting or sculpting or even like you mentioned earlier, the uh drama and acting. So I'm curious if you if you next to the sort of your academic career, do you have like outside uh, interests still or outside hobbies that are not related to medicine? Well, I think the closest thing I would say to being an outside interest that's related somehow in a distant way to what I do every day is I love to entertain and cook. I can't imagine anything more fun for me than planning and executing a big dinner for family or friends. I love every stage of it. And of course, working in the gross room and working in the kitchen are very, very similar. Um, There's precision, there's planning, there's a lot of cutting, there's examining So there's a lot of similarity there, and I really enjoy, I enjoy doing the research of what I'm going to make. I enjoy um, thinking, how will these things fit together? So there's a lot of overlap, even though they're very different and certainly have very different outcomes. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, just kind of the step-by-step approach that you have to do and the different, you know, tools or equipment that you need to have and you need to be, you know, like you said, doing the research. So you've got to have an idea of what you're looking at before, you know, whether it is the cooking or some kind of, you know, specimen that you're grossing, you need to have an idea of what your approach is going to be to that. So, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I like that. I also think that, you know, I sometimes people will say, well, what, class did you take in college that helped prepare you for what you do? And for me, it was a class in the history of Renaissance art, because it was very much like what I do every day. We had lectures about the significance of certain artists and certain pieces of art, and then we had to memorize the images And then the exam would be, you'd be shown part of an image. You had to identify what that, what work of art that tiny detail came from. And then you had to explain its significance. And that's just like reading biopsies as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I can definitely see the correlation there. That's, that's interesting. Throughout the years that you've been a pathology educator, have you, incorporated any, you know, especially recently, I guess, like new techniques, you know, kind of evolved your teaching style over the years? I would say I've adapted 
my teaching style as needed. For example, this year, giving Zoom lectures. I have not, I have personally, I must admit, been very lax at doing things like asking for audience participation, asking them to vote on things. I have to say I've been a little bit stodgy, but that's because I felt like the things I've done have worked and I haven't used the other bells and whistles. So another thing that I noticed about your career is that you've held a lot of uh, leadership positions and been involved in quite a few uh, committees uh, throughout uh, your career. Is this something that's important to you personally to get to get involved in this way? It's been very important to me. I did not realize it would be important to me, uh, but the, the first position I became involved in was I served as a medical staff officer at my hospital, ultimately medical staff president, and I just fell into that accidentally. Someone asked me to do it, and I thought, well, I guess I could try. Um, Since then, I've gone on to other things, including a lot of areas at uh, the College of American Pathologists, and currently I'm a board president of the foundation of the CAP. It has been important to me because it's very gratifying to problem solve and to figure out ways to make things work better. So I have enjoyed it. It wasn't something that I said, I'm out to do this. I really, every step of the way, have just fallen into it, but I always enjoy what I do, even if sometimes it can give you a couple sleepless nights here and there. I think that's an important point to when those opportunities come up to take advantage of them, to tr- you know try it and see if it works for you, because even if it's not something that you enjoy or want to do long term, you might actually learn something uh, and learn a new skill or meet some new people. And I think that's important for, you know, people earlier in their career to do things like that. I think it's very important. I know I had sort of a block of time between residency and when I started doing all of this, when I basically did my work and went home because I had a small child at home. I don't regret that time, but I do enjoy the leadership activities, both the ones I pursued at the hospital where I work, as well as the things I've done through the CAP. So I do wish I'd started a little earlier, but everything worked out in the end. No, and, and another another part of that too, I mean, being a pathologist and you know, the, the field of pathology is often behind the scenes. And I feel like it maybe it's important or more important for pathologists to get involved in these kind of committees to uh, raise the visibility of the field. Uh, Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I think that it was important for my department. I didn't realize it when I started doing this, but it was important for my department to suddenly have a seat at the table. I think I was the first pathologist here to become medical staff president since then we've had a second one. Um, And I do think that 
a lot of people could then put a face to my name. And it just gave time for those sidebar conversations about our work that really furthered relationships between our department and other departments. Yeah, that's important. I, I really think that there, there needs to be more of that in, in the future, definitely. You mentioned your, your work with the College of American Pathologists, and I'd like to talk about that for a little while. So first, if, if, say you're a, you know, a, a new pathologist or you know, fairly early in your career, how does one get involved with the CAP? There are many ways. There is something called the Residence Forum, and there's, as people go through being involved with that, they can become an officer of it. There are many activities, uh, webinars, meetings, for geared towards residents starting in their careers to help them learn what they need to do besides just learning pathology. Um, the CAP offers all sorts of uh, webinars and information about how to start your career, how to, uh, how to find a fellowship, uh, what to do when you start down to, you know, how to present yourself, how to present at a tumor board. There even was one about a year ago about what you should have in your office. So there are lots of ways the college will help people in residency and fellowship get involved. After that, there are a lot of resources for people who are new in practice. There's actually a specific committee that uh, comes up with ways to promote those young members as they begin navigating their careers, helping them figure out what they need to do to have a successful career beyond just getting the right diagnosis. There are many committees, councils, all sorts of things like that, that residents and new and practice people can become involved in. What about for you now? How did you get in? Involved to the point where you were on, you're on the board of governors. Uh, basically, once again, the same way I fell into this. Okay. I have to say, somebody asked me to take their place as a local science fair judge. Uh, for a while, the CAP had a program where whatever city was was hosting the annual meeting, uh, we would send pathologists to be science fair judges at their local high school science fair. And I started from that, met people here and there, became interested in serving on a committee, then became active on the CAP Foundation. And as board presidents of the CAP Foundation, I am now an ex-officio member of the Board of Governors. What is kind of your role as an ex-officio member? What, what, what do you have to do? As an ex-officio member, I still have a vote. Part of what I'm doing is serving as a liaison between the Board of Governors and the Foundation. Mm. 
But okay. also, I have all the other responsibilities of a Board of Governors member, including serving on a council and serving on uh, ad hoc committees as needed. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Carrie August. We'll be right back. LabVine is building a team to help lab medicine professionals live their best lives. Now, these are commission-based sales positions, and the only requirement is that you're passionate about helping people, especially laboratorians. I'll have a link in the show notes where you can email for more information or just watch the LabVine social media pages. Also this month on LabVine, there are some great resources for managing laboratory finances. These topics include financial management, financial statements, budgets, controlling costs, and making financial decisions. And you can find these at LabVine by following the link in the show notes. Dress a Med has been designing and manufacturing high-quality scrubs since 1980. The prices are affordable, the shipping is very fast, and the scrubs have lots of pockets, which I really like. I actually have several sets of these myself. So check out Dress a Med by using the link in the show notes. You can sign up for their loyalty program for free and earn special offers and discounts. Now back to Dr. Kerry August on the People of Pathology podcast. And it's something else you've been involved with is, is called the Engaged Leadership Academy. Yes. Right. And I was reading a little bit about this. This sounds very interesting. Can you tell me about this? First of all, what is it? And then how did you get involved? The Engaged Leadership Academy is, and I have heard people who've been involved with the college for many years say, you know, this is just the best thing the college does. Uh, for a very minimal tuition fee, the college will send an applicant to this program to the Chicago area for a weekend of training in communication skills, in presentation skills. And you start at the very basics how to look someone in the eye when you're speaking, how to address an audience, how to stand, where to put your hands, how to use your voice, all the way through what to do if you are speaking before, say, a a group of uh, community members wanting to know about a specific disease problem or why your lab needs money for more equipment, all the way to being interviewed on national television or on radio or even recording a podcast like this. It's hard to believe this until you've done it, but it's a life-changing experience for many people. I became involved Many years ago, uh, after I judged the science fair, someone said to me, would you like to attend this program? And I thought, sure. Uh, So I've been involved with it for a number of years, and I have been one of the faculty members for several years now. And it is a lot of fun for those of us who teach it, because we really do see light bulbs go off during the teaching session. I like this. I think this is a really important program. I mean, it, it, you know, these skills, I imagine, you know, as you're going through medical school residency and you're just, it's all about the academics and the, you know, all the things you need to learn. And these skills are, are probably not, 
taught or not thought of as important at the time, but they, but they really are later on, like you said, you know, interacting with other people, with other departments, especially. Uh, so yeah, this, this is, this is great. So how would, is this for, for residents? Residents and any uh, pathologist is on the CAP website. There will be an application and you can find more information about it, but you don't have to just be a resident. You don't have to be done with residency. We have a range of people who attend. Okay. Okay. That's great. I'll, and I'll definitely include a link to that uh, because I think that's that's really important. Now, you mentioned a, a little bit ago the, the CAP Foundation, and you're currently the president of the CAP Foundation, as you said. So, yeah. All right. So let's let's start there then. As as the president of the CAP Foundation, what are some things you have you do in that role? In that role, obviously, as we said, I do serve as a liaison back to the Board of Governors and to the college at large. I am overseeing just the general uh, spirit, the general vision and accomplishment in general of the goals of the foundation. We do a wide variety of things in the foundation. Basically, we want to improve the health of people everywhere across the globe in several ways. And this improvement of people's health involves pathologists very heavily. So while we're doing it, we are highlighting the pathologist as being front and center in these efforts. So the main uh, flagship program, as many people know, of the CAP Foundation is the breast and cervical cancer screening program called C-Test and Treat. These programs are pathologist-organized, pathologist-led, and sponsored by the foundation. They're one-day screening programs that take place in hospitals all across the country. And one of the most outstanding features of these programs is that the patients who are screened get results the same day And if they need further workup or treatment, they get plugged in to the healthcare system right then and there because these are otherwise patients who are either uninsured or underinsured. So we can provide a lot of help in terms of screening and links to further care. At the same time, these patients receive education, not just about breast and cervical cancer, but about diet and blood pressure and uh, genetic screening and exercise. And they are run by, as I said, by pathologists in conjunction with other colleagues from the hospital. But the pathologist is front and center and patients really see who we are. The other things the foundation does in terms of improving healthcare are number one, we give leadership grants and awards to pathologists 
to do research to help improve health care for patients everywhere, uh, to encourage medical students to become pathologists, to promote young pathologists to study specific techniques to improve informatics for pathologists. And then the other uh, arm of what the foundation does, and this is a little bit newer, is we have a global pathology initiative. And in this, we want to use the educational arm of our profession and of the CAP to offer them to pathologists around the world where they may not have these resources. So everything has the ultimate goal of mobilizing pathologists everywhere to use their skills and their resources to improve healthcare for people all over the world. No, I like this. These are these are great programs. Uh, going back to see, test, and treat. Now, you you mentioned that one of the major parts of that is the pathologist is front and center. The the pathologist is leading the team, and this is really important. You know, like you said, that the patients get to see who the pathologist is. They get to understand what a pathologist does, as well as the rest of the lab. And that's very important because we have a lack of patient visibility when it comes to pathology. Absolutely. So, right. Right. Okay. Now, I know this year is, I think, the 10th anniversary of the C-Test and Treat program. The C-Test and Treat program was actually started 10 years before that. The first one was put together by the late Dr. Jean Herbeck. But for the past 10 years, the C-Test and Treat program has been under the aegis of the CAP Foundation. So we are celebrating 10 years of C-Test and Treat being part of the foundation. Do you happen to know how many, how many of these programs are there throughout the country? It varies year to year. Obviously, at the height of the pandemic, when the hospitals really didn't want anybody to come in who didn't mm -hmm. have to, uh, we were not able to um, sponsor as many programs, but somewhere in general between 12 and 14 programs a year, and they're all across the country, and the populations of patients who take part in them are often very different. That's true, and it, I think these are often, or they're usually, I guess, concentrated in like underserved areas. Is that kind of the goal with that? Yes. So these are patients who may, as I said, may be underinsured or uninsured. Very often, they are patients perhaps of a specific um, ethnic group or minority group who uh, have hesitations about having these screenings performed. And it really engages the community to encourage patients to get these healthcare screenings and to continue their link to getting healthcare. 
Okay. So if, if you're a pathologist and you, you know you hear about the C-test and treat program and you think this is something that I should do at my hospital or my facility, how, would, how does one go about doing that? I would, this would be another link for you. They would go to foundation.cap.org. And there, there's information about everything the foundation does, ways to get involved. Not only can you uh, be the captain of a C-test and treat at your hospital or help with the C-test and treat at your hospital, we have, um, as I said, you can apply for different grants. And we have a lot of committees uh, which are manned by not only our CAP Foundation board members, but by other CAP members. And we really need the help, and it's a great way to get involved. The C-Test and Treat application process is by necessity rather rigorous because we want to make sure that the people who uh, ask to be involved are, in fact, uh, able to fulfill all the obligations of the program and that their hospital is 100% on board with working with them. So that's where to start with the foundation website. Yeah, and like you said, I will definitely include that link as well. Then uh, the last question then, so... Like we mentioned a few times already, pathology and lab medicine, this is an under-recognized field for for the most part. And it's most likely it's due to the behind-the-scenes nature of it. And as a result, I've heard, you know, as I've been doing this podcast, I've heard that there are fewer doctors that are becoming interested in pathology and even fewer that actually become pathologists. Do, do you think that's really a trend? And then if it is, what are some things we can do about it? I think we all have to do our best to be visible where we are, to make sure that if you are involved, if you are part of a medical school, that you do everything you can to make pathology come alive for students. You need to be visible in your hospital. You need to be visible in your community. When people ask what you do, you have to make sure that they understand the critical nature of your work. I know that the CAP is doing a lot of things to encourage a pipeline of medical students to become pathologists, and I'm sure other pathology organizations are doing the same. At the foundation, we give awards to medical students every year to attend our annual meeting where they are paired with a mentor who's a current pathology resident. So whatever it is you can do personally and whatever it is you can do as part of a pathology organization, we should be doing both to encourage more students to become pathologists as well as to make sure people know who we are and what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that, you know, with the, with the pandemic and all of the attention the lab has been getting throughout that, do you think that will have an effect, at least 
maybe a positive effect that with all the attention we've gotten that people become more interested in pathology? I would hope so, but it's hard to say. You know, hopefully we won't be in this pandemic forever. So um, will people still be hearing that? I think we have to just get out there and point out what we do as often as we can. Yeah, I agree. You know, you mentioned the the pipeline project. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I've I've heard just a bit about that. It's a way of encouraging medical students to look at pathology, take it seriously as a specialty choice, and to introduce as many as possible. So there are a number of parts of that initiative. There's an award for a promising medical student in pathology being given at a variety of medical schools across the country. There is actually a toolkit that pathologists can use to become a pipeline champion and learn how to introduce more students to our specialty. And we can all just serve as role models so that people can see we are people. We do provide services to patients. And there are many pathologists who actually have direct interaction with patients to help them understand what's happening in their lives. As far as the direct patient interaction, I know that's becoming, you know, that used to be completely unheard of and now it's becoming more not I can not common, but I guess it's it's happening more often. Do you think that's that's something that should continue and should become more common? I think it's a great thing for patients and it's a great thing for pathologists. And I would think it's a great thing for other physicians because we can explain how we arrived at certain bits of information for patients better than somebody who does not do our work. So we can be very helpful, not only to patients, but to our fellow physicians. Yeah, like I could see sometime in the in the future that, you know, patients' follow-up visits would be not only with the surgeon or perhaps oncologist, but, but with the pathologist as well, kind of, all, you know, all together in the room. Dr. August, this has been very interesting to find out more about your career, about the CAP and the CAP Foundation. So uh, I appreciate your time. So Dr. Carrie August, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I enjoyed speaking with you. Great big thanks to Dr. Carrie August. Now, next week, I'll be speaking with Andrea Alvarez. She started as a medical laboratory scientist and then went on to become a pathologist assistant. Here's a short preview, and then I'll be back with some final comments on this episode. Now, you mentioned uh, subspecialties. So as far as the different kind of areas of the lab, which which ones were your favorites? Um, I worked in blood bank, and I really enjoyed blood bank. And I also really enjoyed hematology. With blood bank, I enjoyed the complexity of like antibody identification. Also, there was like a huge adrenaline rush when you had to prepare units for like a trauma. One of my other favorite parts was like the fragility of hematopoietic stem cell transplants and intrauterine blood transfusions. Uh, it's just such a wide range of tasks that you can be involved in blood being. 
that was really what drew me into it. And then uh, hematology was also one of my other favorites. I kind of like taking the time to do like a differential on a CBC and being like, oh, well, this one looks more immature or that looks more mature. So it was pretty cool to kind of like spend some time under the scope and analyze the different cells. When a lot of us think of the College of American Pathologists, I think we're thinking in terms of the inspections that we have to get at our labs every two years. But clearly, the CAP does quite a bit more than that. And these programs that Dr. August mentioned, I mean, I've never heard of them, which I guess, why would I? I'm not a pathologist. But if you are a pathologist, they do sound very interesting and they sound very rewarding. So definitely check out the links in the show notes. And with it being October, and that's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I thought it was important to highlight C-Test and Treat and the great work that that program does. Dr. August is obviously passionate about the work she does with the CAP and with the foundation and some of the programs she's involved with, and I hope that inspires other people out there to do the same. So thanks again to her. Don't forget, you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram at People of Path or connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others, and together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.